You are Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily fantasy baseball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, GM walks away from his division-winning team. More on the Hall of Fame ballot, and I'll start looking at pitchers who exceeded expectations in 2020. So, a general manager leaving a team doesn't have to mean a whole lot when it comes to fantasy baseball. But, sometimes circumstances can be relevant. And that ought to be considered when it comes to Theo Epstein leaving the Chicago Cubs. My thinking on this is there have already been news reports that the Cubs are willing to listen on just about everyone on their roster. That makes it likely that some cost-cutting is part of the plan. And if you're Epstein, who's been GM, the Red Sox, and the Cubs, why would you want to go down that path? Take a break, catch your breath, and wait for an opportunity that will not require shedding talent. The rumor mill might tell you that opportunity could be available with the New York Mets now, but let's focus on what this means to the Cubs. If the team that just won the National League Central is committed to cutting costs, well, it's probably going to open up the division for other teams to take over, and it will likely affect the value of players who end up sticking around. For example, if you're holding starting pitcher Kyle Hendricks, he may not be quite as appealing for fantasy, because it will be harder to win games if the Cubs can't offer the same kind of lineup. Now, to be fair, that lineup also endured miserable seasons from the likes of Javi Baez and Chris Bryant in 2020. But, it would be next-level surprising if Epstein chose to walk away from a team that should be just as good next season. Anyway, this might not amount to anything, but it's worth being aware that the Cubs could look a whole lot different next season, and those changes will require some reaction. Now, I talked on the last podcast about the two big names for the Hall of Fame ballot, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. If they're ever going to get in, this is probably the year. That doesn't mean they are getting in, but this year doesn't offer a lot of impediments. Now, thought I'd take a look at some of the other contenders. First, Andrew Jones. He was a good hitter. Hit 434 home runs, only hit 254, had an 823 OPS for his career. But he was a great, not good, not very good, great center fielder. Now that we have defensive metrics to measure his contribution, Jones deserves a spot in the hall. But he only got like 19% of the vote last year, so it's going to take some time to convert voters. Todd Helton had more than 1,400 runs and 1,400 RBIs while hitting 316 with a 953 OPS for his career. But the fact that it all happened in Colorado probably weighs against him. He had 29% of the vote last season. Uh, Jeff Kent, he was the premier hitting second baseman for a decade uh, and was really good. But like Helton, I could see him coming a little short. Last year, Kent had 27.5% of the vote. How many Ramirez, an absolutely elite hitter from 95 through 2008. Manny was an adventure in the outfield and also had a, a PED history. If not for the PED suspensions, he'd probably be in already. And it will be interesting to see if Ramirez can ever gain enough traction. He got 28% of the vote last year. Scott Rowland, like Andrew Jones, Rowland was a good hitter, maybe even very good. He might, might have been better than, uh, than Andrew Jones at the plate. But Roland was an outstanding third baseman. 
and probably deserves a spot in the hall. Not sure he'll get it, but he's poised for a move up from last year's 35% of the vote. Andy Pettit has the pitching credentials. He won 256 games. He had a 3.85 ERA, which doesn't move the needle much, but his Fangraph's war was 68.2 for his career. There is that sticky matter of his PED history, though. And now Pettit, he's really famous. He had a high-profile role on championship Yankees team, so maybe he can find a way. But he also had just 11% of the vote last year. Oh, Sammy Sosa, 609 home runs, 1,667 RBIs, and his Fangraphs war peaked at 61.2. But Sosa was still under 14% of the vote last season. The PED stench just seems so inextricably tied to his numbers. He's going to have a hard time making it. He's also closer to a borderline case. As I argued in favor of Bonds and Clemens in yesterday's pod, I probably wouldn't make the same argument for Sosa because he's a whole lot closer to the borderline. Gary Sheffield had more than 30% of the vote last year. He had more than 500 home runs, more than 1,600 runs scored, and 1,600 RBIs, and he hit 292 with a 907 OPS. The man could swing the bat. And his Fangraphs war, 62.1 for his career. Sheffield moved around a lot in his career, and that seems to keep any one fan base from really taking up his case. Billy Wagner, he was a really great closer who got more than 31% of the vote last year and still isn't anywhere near as valuable as the other contenders. Obviously, Wagner isn't going to have the same value as an everyday player or a starting pitcher, but there is some kind of reckoning to be had in baseball circles with the kind of value that has been appropriated to closers. It seems to have happened on the field now, but not necessarily when it comes to historical value. Omar Vizquel was a very good fielding shortstop, but he also didn't hit nearly well enough to be a Hall of Famer. He hit 272 with a 688 OPS and finished with 80 career home runs. It takes a lot of extra defensive value, value to overcome that bat, and I just don't see it. And, and yet somehow, uh, Vizquel is uh, getting a greater percentage of the vote uh, than a bunch of the other uh, guys on this list. Now, I guess to his credit, Vizquel uh, is clean, and, and so maybe that makes him more appealing, but man, the, the numbers don't support uh, Vizquel for the Hall. And finally, Kurt Schilling. There are few people in the public sphere with whom I will disagree more than Schilling. But his numbers probably warrant a spot in baseball's Hall of Fame. He had 3.46 ERA, 1.14 whip, fielding independent pitching of 3.23, and he was an ace on multiple World Series winners. In seven career World Series starts, which is much too small a sample to play a big part in the vote, but He did have a 2.06 ERA and a 0.90 whip in those seven starts. He rose to the occasion. And Schilling got 70% of the vote last year. He'll probably get nudged over the line this year. Coming up next, some pitchers that exceeded expectations in 2020. Send me your questions. I'm at ByScottCullen on Twitter. Show is at LO underscore FantasyMLB on Twitter. If you want to fire off an email, send it to LockedOnFantasyBaseball at gmail.com. So now I, I've gone through batters who uh, exceeded expectations in 2020. Now we're moving to the mound. Look at some pitchers who outperformed their draft slot uh, based on preseason rankings. We'll start with Minnesota Twins starter Kenta Maeda. Preseason rank was 149, finished the season ranked 18th. Uh, and he was good in four seasons for the Dodgers. But Maida was great last season. 
He did, however, have a 208 batting average on balls in play, which probably isn't sustainable. He did induce more weak contact, throwing fewer fastballs, more sliders, and change-ups. And it seems he genuinely fooled American League hitters. They swung more and missed more. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that holds over a full season. That batting average on balls in play, though, that, that would give me some serious pause about Maida's value for 2021. To me, that says sell high if you can. San Diego starting pitcher, Denilson Lamette, preseason ranked 130th, finished the season ranked 26th. He'd only made 35 career starts in the two previous seasons, so that's why expectations were at least a little bit modest for Lamette. But he also had a strikeout rate to at least warrant sleeper status going into the season. In a dozen starts this year, Lamette threw like an ace. 2.09 ERA, 0.86 whip, 12.1 strikeouts per nine. He finished fourth in National League Cy Young voting and is likely going to be a contender again next season and presumably the season after that. Uh, Chicago Cubs relief pitcher Jeremy Jeffress, preseason ranked 401st, ended up ranked 35th. Mostly a setup man throughout his career, the 33-year-old moved into the closer's role for the Cubs and finished the season with four wins and eight saves to go with a 1.54 ERA and 0.94 whip. Jeffress placed a great emphasis on his splitter. It'll be interesting to see his value in 2021 because it's probably dependent on where he pitches and whether or not he's still a closer. Cleveland starting pitcher Zach Plesak was ranked 397 coming into the season, finished the season ranked 36th. As a rookie in 2019, Plesak was all right, 8-6, 3.91 ERA. His fielding independent pitching was higher, but his 1.23 whip was entirely respectable. He didn't strike out a lot of guys, so that limited his fantasy appeal going into 2020. Now, leaving aside the judgment involved in his COVID violation, uh, Plesak started eight games for the Tribe, had a 2.28 ERA, 0.80 whip. His strikeout rate went from 6.9 strikeouts per nine in 2019 to 9.3 strikeouts per nine in 2020. He threw more sliders and generated more swings and misses outside the zone. It was a dramatic step forward, and now Plesak won't be sneaking up on anyone in 2021. Chicago White Sox reliever Alex Colomay, preseason ranked 153, ended up ranked 39. It's no surprise that Colomay was good. He's been a quality closer for most of the previous four seasons. But he had a 0.81 ERA and 0.94 whip. That's pretty nice. Strangely, his strikeout rate dropped as he induced a lot of weak contact. Uh, had just a 200 batting average on balls in play, which you don't know whether that can last. But uh, Colomay's become more dependent on his cutter, yet it works. I mean, it worked for Mariano Rivera when the whole world knew it was coming. So if uh, Colomay can, can execute the pitch, have at it. Another closer, San Diego, Trevor Rosenthal, preseason, ranked 405th, ended up ranked 41st. On the path back from Tommy John surgery, Rosenthal missed all of 2018 and couldn't find the strike zone in 2019. But he got sorted out in Kansas City to start 2020, still throwing in the high 90s and closing games for the Royals before getting traded to San Diego, where he was excellent. Rosenthal is only 30, so he should have some decent value as a closer in 2021. Last one today, Milwaukee starter Corbin Burns. Preseason ranked 400th, Finished the season ranked 45th. He was great out of the Brewers' bullpen in 2018 and a disaster in 2019. Had an 8.82 ERA, 1.84 whip. 
and Burns started 2020 in the bullpen, which explained the low expectations. But he moved to the rotation quickly, and with a developing cutter and changeup, became a legit major league ace. He had a 2.11 ERA, 1.02 whip, 13.3 strikeouts per nine. Ridiculous numbers that were available as a waiver pickup in virtually every league. That'll do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow. More stats for offseason prep, more overachieving pitchers in 2020, and hopefully some more player movement to analyze. Find this podcast, subscribe, and rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On Baseball. Say hi to Sully while you're there. Stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily source for fantasy news and analysis.